All right, Sixer Nation, what is good? Welcome back on in another collab show. Lots to talk about. It's crazy, man, the difference that 12 days makes. I think we streamed 12 days ago together, live collab show. <laughs> we thought we thought the world was falling apart, man. <laughs> we thought the world was falling apart. We thought we were going into the dog days of the season. But a matter of fact, it, it was actually the best stretch we've had. It's been thrilling, exciting. There's a lot to get into. But the question of the day is, are the Sixers back? Are we back? Are we headed in the right direction? That was our question last time. Well, I guess we're going to have to double down or uh, give some reason as to why not today. Shout out to everybody out there, though, man. We are live on three different shows right now. Philly Take with RB, Pick Swap Media, Run It Back Philly. I'm RB, DJ Eastwood, and Sean Bernard tapping in, man. Giving you the Sixers coverage that you need. Fellas, how are we feeling today? Yeah, pretty, team looks like it's come alive a little bit. So definitely better spirits today. Uh, you know, seven of the last nine in the win column. Looking good, turning things around. The boys are coming back. Reinforcements are coming. So things are looking a lot better in the Sixers world. And uh, I'm excited to get fully into it and uh, get chatting. Yeah, man. I think uh, no matter what we do, no matter what the roster looks like, Joel Embiid is the engine. It's just always going to be like that as long as he's here. So, you know, the beginning of the season, Joel Embiid, for some reason, whatever it was, didn't have any gas in the tank. Uh, but, it's, yeah, man, as soon as he started looking MVP form, and then, of course, he went out with the with the foot injury. But you get him back, he carries the team to victory uh, last night. Um, the bench getting, getting playing time because of all the injuries could be a blessing in disguise. Yeah, man, it's uh, – I'll say it's trending in the right direction right now yeah it's gonna be interesting man also your your mic's a little bit touch too loud dj so just check on oh, that but, um yeah man it, it's gonna be very interesting i definitely want to hear what these guys have to say the sixers after the last chat we had they go and they win seven out of nine games they go four and one on the home stretch that we were talking about for hours you know what would they do against those tough teams they go four and one in fact the game they lost they almost erased a 20 point deficit against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, um, you know, they come out, they get a big win against the Brooklyn Nets. I was there for that game. What a thrilling environment that was. Uh, they lose against the Hornets, but then they clean sweep the Magic two games. And then they go and get a huge win last night against the Atlanta Hawks. That was kind of like a benchmark game for me. What would they look like with Joel Embiid coming back? And just late thriller, man. Joel hitting big shots. Talk about a monster block on John Collins. And, uh, man, the Sixers get it done. And, and I mean, we got the Cavs, we got the Grizzlies coming up. But right now, this team looks completely different. They look completely different than they did two weeks ago where we thought the, the world was falling apart. And uh, I guess we'll just kind of start it off. You know, how, how are we feeling about this team? You know, are they back on the right track? And what is going on right now? Like, how do you put this into words? How do you explain your bench unit being the reason your team is finally turning the corner? Yeah, uh, I'll jump on a couple different things here. I mean, A, I can't get far without talking about Shake Milton. And this is a guy who we've seen in and out of the lineup, in and out of the rotation, at times as high as the sixth man. A guy who, when Doc Rivers first came here, talked about how the league hasn't caught up to Shake Milton yet. To a guy who didn't see any minutes on the court in four out of the first five games of the season. 
to see him just finding his stride and really playing better than we've seen him play in years at this point was great. The Sixers need that. And we've talked about how this roster lacks ball handling, lacks playmaking. Shake Milton is showing those things. So for him to have that ability beyond just being like a microwave scorer where he can create for others, he's got that pocket pass to Joel, which looks awesome. That's huge for this team. And I think you have to find a way to get him minutes moving forward. Uh, and when just talking about this team surviving this stretch, uh, to to give Doc Rivers a little bit of his flowers here, and I'm curious to see DJ's uh, thoughts on this. And, I mean, it doesn't make it better for the Sixers for what they need Rivers to excel in. But the thing I will say that Doc is very good at is raising the floor of a team and having them win games that they really shouldn't. And we saw that out of this stretch. The Sixers just played straight up better basketball, and that's contagious moving forward. And Bede coming back, he embraced that as well. We saw the ball continue to pop. He's still the best player on this team by a wide margin, even when Harden and Max here back. So to see him just put his fingerprints all over that game and dominate is huge. But it felt like he was more consciously involved with getting others the ball, making sure it's a team effort. And that's what I'm really excited about moving forward. Yeah, so the way that I look at it is, uh, no, I, I, I think you're right. It's just that like when, when I see the bench perform this way because their Doc is forced to give them time, it reminds me of Tyrese Maxey performing a certain way when Doc was forced to play him at point guard when a certain guy quit and refused to come back. So right away, I'm like, wait a minute. How do we go from having the worst bench in the NBA and now all of these players look like, hey, they can actually ball. So to me, it's like you start out the season playing, you know, Joel and James and Maxi 40 minutes a game almost. You know, it looked like an eight-man playoff rotation the first couple games of the season. And then you see that you actually have talent. So again, to me, it's all it's all Doc just just for whatever reason, not giving guys opportunities. You would think the beginning of this season would be the other way around, where you start out the guys, especially a guy coming off a of plantar fasciitis that apparently he knew about. You would think you start out a little bit slower and have a little bit, maybe 30, 31, 32, have the bench guys have more of a deeper bench in the first couple of games. The system, his thought process, I don't understand it. <laughs> but now you see we can feel good about the fact that hey look shake milton can ball just like he did against the clippers how, how many years ago against doc rivers and doc fell in love with him and uh you know there, there's other guys here I, I saw saban lee the other night make a play and i was like there's a ball handling guard i don't think he'll ever sniff the court but i have faith that we have a lot of talent on this team i need to see if now these guys are given these more opportunities when the starters come back. And I think, I think the obvious thing would be, Hey, they're coming back off of injuries, especially foot injuries. Maybe they start out slow. Maybe Harden and Maxi start out slow. And some of these bench guys continue to get more minutes than they're used to and continue to perform. So, you know, to me, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't tell if a team is deep or not because it's all based on whether they get the opportunities, whether certain players get the opportunity. So, that's where I'm at with it. I don't know if I really answered any questions there, but <laughs> I mean, I that mean, was like giving Doc credit, and then in the back of my mind, like not giving him credit at all. You know, again, like going back to where we were at before, it's it's very confusing, you know. And I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. I I guess I'll just start with the stretch that they're on right now. All right, I, I've realized 110. percent Okay, it's all about opportunity, and yeah. maybe I sound like a Daryl Homer, like they always call me in the chat, but you know, now we can finally realize, right? We have talent on the roster we have the talent we need to win here um the problem is the utilization of the talent and and i've realized it is all about opportunity 
I've issued a formal apology to guys like Shake Milton. I mean, the guy comes out here the last seven games, he's averaging 20 to 25 points a game. It looks completely different. And I've realized it hit me when these guys get consistent minutes. Think about anybody. Think about yourself playing sports, right? You need a you need minutes consistently to get a rhythm under yourself. Like imagine playing five minutes one game and then you don't see the court for three minutes. It's clear as day now, whether it's Shake Milton, whether it's DeAnthony Melton, even Matisse Thibault, I still think isn't being utilized fully. Like he came in and had a couple nice defensive plays yesterday. And this is the same thing we preached about Isaiah Joe and Bassey. I know I don't want to bring them up, but those guys have set records on their new teams, right? So when you look at all of these guys as a collective, it is 100% about opportunity. Like if these guys get the chance to play, if you tell Shake Milton, you got seven games, you got two weeks to go out there and just play your game. You don't have to worry about getting pulled after you make a mistake. You're going to go out there and play more comfortably. And man, I got to give them a lot of credit. They have turned the corner for this team. This team's back. And yeah, Doc deserves credit. The players deserve credit. But most importantly, it's about opportunity. They got the chance and they're making the most of it. And I'm proud of this squad right now. Yeah. And to your point about that, RB, there's something from like a mentality aspect for each of these players when they're not looking over their shoulder and they have a more defining, concrete idea of what is expected of them. Like Shake Milton is a guy who is either yanked out of the game if he makes one mistake or if he's not hanging the shot is kind of looked at as invaluable when he kind of has a little more leash and play, able to play more free. That means a lot to these guys and, and their job becomes way easier when they're not as just like rigid and structured and, and worried about what they're going to do. So when we see these guys playing free basketball, which is really how I would describe how the Sixers have played out of the stretches, it looked fun. It looked free. The ball was popping. Guys looked like they were enjoying it. And that hasn't been the case for most of the season so far. It felt like there was like a, a miserable cloud hanging over this franchise's head to start. And to see that kind of wipe away, guys looking like they're enjoying it, like that is to me a big deal and something that's that's not that easy to overcome. Yeah, I'm going to double down. Yeah, guys need guys need minutes and guys need consistent time. I mean, we've uh, uh, anybody that's played basketball before, you know, if you start in the summer, it's, it's nice out, you go ball, you haven't played in a couple months not going to be good in five minutes. You know, it might take you a week or two to get really back into the groove. So yeah, you know, you just can't expect somebody to play for five minutes and not play for, for a week. And it's always been for me as a basketball player, I've always done better when I've had coaches and players around me that allow me to make mistakes also. And that's the, the, especially young players, that's such a detriment to them to put pressure on them and have them thinking all the time. I can't make a mistake. I have to make this shot. I have to make this play. That's how you get young players in their own head and they make more mistakes that way. And yeah, when you're, when you're depleted and you, 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 if you make a mistake, I can't bench you because there's nobody else behind you then now you're allowed to go out and make mistakes and play a free game and yeah that's how you get the best out of players so again i think it's circumstances that force the best out of these players and i'll have to you know see if it continues but yeah i i totally agree you, you need minutes and you know you just can't be putting pressure on young guys to be perfect i mean paul reed's a perfect example we've seen times where he plays amazing defense hustles dives on the floor gets offensive rebounds when nobody else is getting a rebound in a game and then makes one mistake and gets yanked. We've seen it with Matisse Thibel, you know, so I want to say maybe Doc is growing and advancing, or maybe it's just circumstance, but yeah, I hope so. I hope maybe Doc is taking a step back and saying, look, these young guys can play. Now I'm, you know, wish I had Isaiah Joe back, or Charles Bassey. Imagine what this bench would look like right now, but 
it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, man. And, and and these guys are, we forget sometimes how young they are because of the expectations that we have. Um, you know, these are guys that don't have maybe a tremendous amount of experience. Obviously, the Shake Milton experiment's been up and down. Uh, but even Furcon, I mean, he's come in and, and been a little spark here and there. These guys are playing freely, man. And um, back to what Sean said, the ball movement has been amazing. The defensive communication has been better. It, I mean, maybe I'm crazy here, but this is the most fun I've had watching the team all year. It, like I've had more fun than watching Joel, James, and, and Tyrese go out there and dribble the ball for 22 seconds, and <laughs> this guy standing in the corner. Every guy was involved, and when I went to that Sixers-Nets game, they had no business winning that game. They had no business being in the game, but you know what it was? They heard all the noise. They wanted it. They wanted it because they wanted to win that game, and they wanted to shut up the Ben talkers and, and the media and all that, but they wanted to show Doc Rivers that, yo, we are capable of being this. And I think the good thing about it is that they don't have to be like this when the starters return. They need to be optimized in a certain role. But then the thing is, they need to know their role, right? And I still have fear that when the starters return, uh, Doc Rivers could go back to his ways, you know, and, and not play these guys enough, which I am kind of fearful about. But right now, man, they have earned every little bit of praise. They have been playing hard. Even last night, I don't think they had business being in that game the way they played in the first half. They came out, let's let's not forget, they played, what, seven games in nine days or whatever it is? Like, I mean, we, we always use that as a common thing. Like, oh, you know, it's kind of hard to win back-to-backs with Joel and James because Doc plays them so many minutes. These guys don't care. They're out there having fun, playing the kids' game and not thinking about anything. And, uh, man, they've just been impressive. Yeah, it's going to be a while before we fully understand the identity of this team and what they look like. And it's always a work in progress for teams. We see plenty of teams around the the NBA dealing with it. But for the Sixers to just kind of have it so staggered, like you never really see the top three guys all get out with injury just like that. So uh, let's see them kind of rejoin. I do think there's uh, kind of a silver lining to all of this, though. Like the bench unit now seems to be clicking. If we get Joel back to him and then add Maxi and Harden to that mix, that's a recipe that could work. And I do think it's important that like there's been the like the little debates about like building around Harden versus building around Embiid, just as far as play style wise. I do think it's important that Embiid remains the centerpiece of this team, especially with the the defensive identity that they want to set, and that was put on full display in that Hawks game, which is the two-way dominant performance that he put on that, that game saving block steal, whatever you want to call it. That's just ridiculous stuff. And uh, up, he is one of the maybe five players in the league capable of that type of play. So to see that paired with what he does offensively is awesome. And I also, that's going to take some sacrifice from Maxi and Harden too, for Harden specifically, I need to see him be capable as a spot up shooter. He has to be willing to be a guy to be playing off that. And it can't just be the, dribble, dribble, dribble around for 20 seconds on the shot clock. Like you got to be able to play off Embiid in the same way that he's kind of shown the willingness to serve as a screener for you. Yeah. yeah I think, I think Embiid, I think Embiid's uh, adapted to that pretty well uh, as the season went on. You know, we saw him come back last night and we didn't initially right away go to like Joel Embiid post-ups or Joel Embiid isos or anything. He was just kind of floating around, setting screens, getting a shot or, or moving the ball. And Joel's facilitating has been on yet another level this season dare I say Joel Jokic level not quite but for Joel Embiid his his passing this year I think has been the best it's been in his career passing out of double teams and moving the ball quickly and I think everybody's learning like that slow 1990s center back to the basket 
leading the league in post-ups. Like, yeah, he can dominate players one-on-one all day, but in today's NBA, is that really helping you at the end of the day because you're spending 20 seconds getting a two-point shot and the other team's coming down in five seconds and jacking a three? So you have to find a balance. I think Joel's adapted to that. I don't have any uh, worries about Harden being able to adapt to that. I, I just think that we get in situations where there's no movement and then he's like, all right, I got to create something because nothing's happening. And, you know, maybe that's the reason. Um, but also I want to ask you guys, I know that, you know, when stars are out, there's going to be more ball movement anyway, because there's no real number one, you know what I mean? So that's expected. So are people maybe going a little bit too far with saying, this is how the game is supposed to be played and and this ball movement, and we need to keep this ball movement up. Or is it just like, that's, best for basketball in general but in the nba is that championship basketball you know what i mean like you need stars at the end of the day i can't really think of many teams that didn't have a clear-cut number one superstar that won championships maybe like 2004 detroit pistons chauncey billups and 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 rip hamilton and all those guys but it's it's kind of rare for for it to be an even playing field complete ball movement thing with nba teams that are at a championship level so what do you guys think no, I definitely agree. I, I, I want to make a comment on that. First off, shout out to Kenny with the $5 Super Chat. He says our bench is the key to us succeeding in the playoffs. Sixers have to keep this up. I agree. Uh, you get production like this out of Shake, Niang even. I mean, this could be huge for our team. Uh, but to your question, I think you're actually right. Um, and I, I think people are kind of in over their head a little bit, like looking at this team right now, because this goes back to the the real question is, can you win a championship with a center? being one of your main focal points, if not the focal point of the offense. And to play like that, you know, you can't swing the ball 50 times a possession. It's just not realistic. Um, But I think you can kind of like find that balance between what we're doing now and then plugging in the stars. Like you just brought it up about last night, right? It wasn't all Joel and beat ISO ball. It wasn't just Joel, Joel, Joel. Every guy was involved. And I was really impressed about how shake Milton was off to a tough start, but he stayed aggressive. And, in the fourth quarter, he was huge as well. I think you got to get the other guys involved. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to look exactly like what we're doing right now, but I think there has to be more than we had before. And that falls on Doc Rivers. You know, I know he talked about the pecking order and all that. You can't just sit around and, and watch these guys. At the end of the day, your stars win championships. Stars make star plays in the big moments. However, Every guy needs to be involved. There's no reason Tyrese Maxey should spend an entire game sitting in the corner or, you know, Shake Milton comes in off the bench maybe and, and plays a couple minutes, doesn't get a shot. No, you got to find ways to get guys involved. Um, and, and there's a lot of lot of touches that go around on his team. Even Tobias Harris, for example, who's playing out of his mind. The thing is, when the Stars come back, Toby's not going to get 20 touches a game. So how do you incorporate that entire offense that's where you got to find the identity. And I'm actually kind of worried about that a little bit. Yeah. And one thing that I've always found kind of unique about the NBA is how much stylistically it changes from regular season to playoffs, just the game slowing down, every possession mattering more. And that's where this kind of like isolation ball comes more important. Like you see it where just stars make the plays when it comes down to the wire. And also to your point about kind of building around a center, it's really hard in the modern NBA to make it happen. But Embiid is just kind of, I think Embiid and Jokic are the only two I can comfortably say like it's possible because of just how gifted that they are. And for Embiid specifically, he deserves a ton of credit for understanding that himself and becoming more perimeter based. And just think about the the game winner that he hit last year against the Raptors. Like that's a seven footer hitting a fadeaway three pointer coming off motion like that just doesn't really happen. So I, I do think it can be done because of that. 
Uh, and also just like defensively, I, I, I think it's can't be talked about how much it's improved with this team over that past week. And Embiid has – he talked about it coming into the year, how it was a goal to be the top defensive team. They have, be, have been for over the past month now, which is crazy to say, especially without him in the lineup. That's also going to be super key come postseason. And uh, once again on the stylistic, not to bring him up, but Ben Simmons is a prime example of a guy who like you can hide it in the regular season with the up-tempo fast break, but they're just like – is a point where it can't be. And once that book's written, everybody can read it. So – that it, we've seen it both ways, but I do have faith in building around Embiid as the the focal point. Yeah, I think it I think it works and can work because of you know how skilled he is. You know, when when we say uh, you can't win with a center being your number one option, yeah, you probably can't win in today's NBA with actually Hakeem Olajuwon as your number one option. You know what I mean? But we have a modern day Hakeem Olajuwon. People hate when I throw that name out there. The haters, man, they get so mad. You know, how dare you say, but we have a modern day, just back to the basket center. But yeah, like you said, can step out, can hit, can hit the three, can hit the elbow jumper is almost 99% automatic. It seems like, especially with the game on the line. That's another thing about Joel Embiid, man. When it really matters, it's like Bryce Harper at the plate. Kind of, you either need to, you need to walk him you need to foul Joel. You, he's going to score. He's making that shot. Last night, I had no doubt in my mind that jumper was going in. Uh, but yeah, you have a guy with so much skill that he can adapt to today's game and still be a dominant center. And then when when you need really need a two-point bucket down the stretch of a game, he can really play bully ball. But you know, the old heads are always, what's he doing out there? He needs to get his back to the basket. Rah! You know what I mean? And they just it's not that kind of game anymore. He's going to play more perimeter base, but I still think, you know, when the game's on the line, it's great to have somebody who's completely unguardable in the post. Uh, you know, he can go at Clint Capella. I mean, John Collins, let's be serious. There's not many guys that can guard him on the block when he's really going to throw his shoulder into you. Um, so, yeah, I just think he's he's so skilled that it's very possible, but he's he's just adaptive to today's game. I think it's perfect. I'm glad you guys brought that up because during this hot stretch, it, it was actually a negative for me. It, you know, some of the Sixers fan base was just absolutely losing their mind. Oh, we should, literally a guy told me we should trade Joel Embiid and we should bench Tyrese Maxey for DeAnthony Melton and, and Shake Milton. And I mean, it, Embiid came back right last night and, it, you know, completely proved that wrong. Embiid is still Embiid. It's about applying that recipe to what we have with our main guys. Um, Joel's a monster. I mean, he makes – we don't win that game without Joel Embiid. Why? Because stars make those plays in the big moments. All right? Nobody else was making that play. And if you apply, you know, what we have seen the last, you know, couple weeks and, and kind of try to find a way, like I said, to find that balance, this team can be really good. Um, but, you know, I, I think it comes down to, like, optimizing the rotations and the usage now one thing i hope is that the guys that are playing right now with these excessive minutes i hope they keep that confidence up you know seeing shake play like this what have we been asking for all season we need a guard we need a backup guard well guess what we have shake milton shake is that backup guard he needs to play with the same confidence whether he's playing five minutes or 20 minutes all right and he needs to do that but I'm still worried about Doc Rivers and the utilization. I'm I, somewhere in the back of my head, as good as we're playing, as much fun as this has been, I, I really feel like in a couple of weeks when everybody's back healthy, we may see the same thing. Joel James, Joel James, little Maxi, Joel James. That can't happen. That would destroy the confidence of this team. And I'll tell you what needs to happen. And Sixers fans might hate me for it. 
Tobias Harris needs to go to the bench. He needs to be the sixth man. That's <laughs> how this team would be utilized. Shake Milton, Tobias off the bench. That would clear up a lot more in the starting lineup. Less touches because Tobias needs the ball in his hand sometimes. It makes perfect sense to me, but I don't get paid to make those decisions. Yeah, it happened to be a semi-generous schedule to this whole uh, no stars, all bench thing. You know, um, Brooklyn, uh, you know, Brooklyn choked. Um, we played a great game against Brooklyn. I'm not going to take anything away from the Sixers in that game. We outworked them. But, you know, you lost to the Hornets. You beat the Orlando Magic twice, one time by 30. That's actually unbelievable that, that, that I just don't even understand uh, what the Magic are and if they'll ever be anything. Uh, there was another loss in there. Was there another loss in there? And then you get to Atlanta, which, and I'm, I'm like, all right, I want to see them against Atlanta. And that happens to be the game that Embiid comes back. And what I saw was without Embiid, we would have lost that game to Atlanta. So yeah, I agree. Everybody needs to pump the brakes a little bit on like, we're better without the stars. That's insane. Yeah. My, my first read in the beginning of that Atlanta game was like, oh, we're not playing the magic anymore. Like this is a team that like <laughs> can actually play a little bit. And then we see kind of them scrap back into the Embiid, make do his thing, pull this team back in it. And uh, I just do want to shout out the shot once again. Like the net didn't even move on that final shot for Embiid. So just having a guy like that to take us home is huge and can't be overstated enough. And uh, as far as I'm going to toss this at you guys, I don't have a def uh, definitive answer because so much of it is matchup based. But when you look at like the closing lineup that you would expect from the Sixers team, who do you kind of see making the cut? Because there's a lot of guys that I'm kind of on the border. D'Anthony Melton's a name that I think deserves to have some recognition as well. But what are your guys' kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, that's a good point. Uh, first off, I want to shout out the Anthony Melton because the people that didn't watch the game last night will say he played bad because he was inefficient in the box score. However, how sweet is it having a guy like Melton that can actually guard elite scores and stay on the floor offensively? What he did to Trey Young last night, he had that man in jail. The Anthony mm -hmm. Melton can play elite defense. It was great to see. Uh, it's funny because I was streaming the game, and you know, in the in the last couple of minutes, you might think I'm crazy, Sean, but I would actually leave Niang in the game late in game because that man can hit big shots, and he's not afraid to pull the trigger. And right now, Tucker is giving you nothing. And it's been tough to watch. Now, I do think he will pick it up eventually. But George Niang, to me, has been playing his, his butt off right now. And I like him in the, in the final lineup. And I think if it comes down to it and you find him open on the wing, he's going to knock down a big shot. So I would, I would say George Niang. You, might, you guys might call me crazy and call me a flip-flopper if you heard me all season, all summer. Uh, but I need more Matisse Thibel in the <laughs> I game. Agree. That's what I, I need. Agree. Last night... They were down by 16 points in the first half. Uh, and Matisse Thibel came in the game and the energy completely changed. D'Anthony Melton was playing good defense against Trey Young. Trey was giving up the ball five feet outside the three-point line when, when Matisse was on him. He can't even get close to the, to the arc uh, with, with Matisse out there. And, and I'm seeing a little bit more. I know it's taken a long time. I feel like maybe this summer he did a little bit less YouTube and more basketball work. I'm seeing a little bit more offensive skill out of Matisse Thibel. Last night, a, dri a drive and a left-handed finger roll, I almost passed out, you know what I mean? Uh, I, yeah, I think I need to see uh, more Matisse Thibel. I don't, I, the P.J. Tucker thing, man, it's like it's like a lot of things in sports when you, when you sign a guy to a certain contract, he's just going to play because I think the guys up top aren't going to want to admit or look like they made a mistake. Um, I'm not saying they made a mistake, but right now, you know, it would be nice to give some other guys opportunities while he's struggling, but I just think it's not going to happen. Doc's just going to continue to go with PJ in the fourth quarter. And I made a, a point last night. 
I'm not seeing PJ give me anything that Matisse Thibel can't give me. I, in fact, I think they're if they both give you nothing on offense, Matisse is giving you way more on defense right now. Uh, so mine is actually Matisse Thibel. I need more Matisse Thibel. Yeah, and to touch on Tucker real quick, the thing I'll I'll say is more so than anyone on this roster is he's here for the postseason. This is a guy that like we brought him in for playoffs. So if he turns, if he flips the switch, turns it on, knocks down some key corner threes come postseason time. All is forgiven, and he looks like the guy we brought in. Looks like a great signing. So, I, I uh, to some extent, I feel like he's earned a little bit of the the coast of the regular season. But with that being said, like I haven't been very encouraged with what I've seen, and it's it's kind of like the just unwillingness to even look at the basket that surprised me because this is a guy that like has had some moments where he's shown his ability as a scorer. Like we haven't seen any of that like floater around the basket that's been a part of his game. His numbers at the rim are extremely poor, and he still does some very good things. I was very surprised to see that he is uh, out of the two-man combinations in the top four for the six of <laughs> each of them, paired with uh, Tobias, Embiid, Maxi, and Shake, I believe, were the top four, which is crazy there. And that does speak to the little things that he does do, but it also doesn't make up for just kind of like the, the straight gap offensively. And he's becoming – we just keep getting these strange players, and I feel like Tucker <laughs> is fitting that mold too. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I would accredit some of that to the fact that there's not a lot of touches to go around when you think about everybody that needs the ball. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say PJ's done nothing because he does do like the little dirty work type of things. But right now, he's got to give you something offensively. You can't go five games in a row with nothing in the box score. Now, unlike most of Sixer Nation, I do believe he'll pick it up. He's a pro. He's a vet. He's won a championship. He knows what it takes. He also did have a surgery right before the season, so maybe he's not fully healthy. But, you know, I went to the game. I saw him out there 50 minutes early putting up three after three. Nobody else was on the court. He's working on it. He just, like I said, I'm surprised by the lack of of shooting. Um, but I, I do think he will pick it up. But I agree with DJ 100%. I need more Thibel, and that's still one of the situations that makes no sense. Now, he didn't play the first five games of the year. And then I believe he had three or four games where he played about 25 minutes. And I, I thought he looked decent. He was starting to shoot. He had a couple threes go down and then he hasn't played at all. Like, I don't remember him taking a jump shot since he made one of those last ones in that game. And I'm like, where is Matisse Thibel? He comes in last night. You plug him in. He has a spark against Trey Young. Where is he? How are you going to develop this guy? Jaden Springer still going back and forth. G League NBA. Now he's hurt. Every how day, are you man. supposed to develop these guys and, and how are you supposed to go from within and build your team if you're not going to utilize these players? And it, it's frustrating to see. Yeah, I think he, I think half of Keith Pompey's tweet catalog is Jaden Springer was called up. Jaden Springer was sent down. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah. Like, where, where has he been? I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be a downer. I, I have nothing against Springer as a player, but he's just not going to be a part of this team for the future. It's, it's not it. You know, I think I mean, it's too young, too raw. Matisse for me is a, is a guy, and I'm sure most people that know ball would agree that it doesn't show up in the box score anyway. You just see such an energy change. You see such a, a switch flip, um, not just on, on our side of the ball, but the other team not being able to do everything they want to do offensively from the perimeter right when he, get, right when he comes in the game. And a, a really tough lineup for anyone to play against is Thibel. Paul Reed and DeAnthony Melton all on the floor together. There's just guys diving 
and getting their hands on basketballs left and right when they're out there, it's obviously, you know, you want to be able to get the offensive production also. And like Sean said, we keep ending up with these kind of one-dimensional players. Like, we can play it for your defense. Can we play it for your offense? We can play it for your offense. Can we play it for your defense? So I guess that goes back to how nice it is having DeAnthony Melton, uh, finally a two-way basketball player, a guy that looks like he just plays basketball. Uh, But, yeah. He's yeah. getting better and better. And uh, shout out to Kenny with the $5 Super Chat. He says it's about having the right players around Embiid, which mm-hmm. the Sixers have. If I were another team, I would be worried about our big three if they're all in. I'm going to throw something at you guys. Um, hate me or love me, whatever it is. I'm sorry. George Niang is the best fit around James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel Embiid. You guys might think it's a, a, you know, a certain stretch or you know he's hot right now. That's what he did last year as well. But statistically, he has been one of the best bench players in the league. In fact, he, in my opinion, should be in the running for six man of the year right now based off how he has played. I think he's averaging around 15 a game over the last couple of weeks. He knocks down the big shots, and obviously he's not the best defender, but he brings the energy, and I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, it's the talking smack to Kevin Durant. It's the talking <laughs> smack to Ben Simmons. Like, he does the little things. This is the dog that we wanted. Trez brings the same thing. The problem is you can't keep him on the floor that long because he's been bad under the rim. George Niang has been great, and he's he's does those little things. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. He can spot up in the corner, and wherever you give him the ball, he's going to knock down a shot. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. George Niang is the best fit at power forward around around those three. Yeah, he had a steal. He had a steal. I don't mean to cut you off, Sean. He had a steal at half court last night where he you know he came like an inch and a half off the floor. I mean, he really got up there. That was like the limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a. Uh, I mean, first off, like the just willingness to shoot like he just gave him an inch of space which is pretty far into this roster of having guys willing to just let it fly like that and some of it definitely has to do with that lack of jumping and that he just doesn't really get off the ground ever he just barely shoots all arm but it works and he is kind of one of the rare guys that fits with both Embiid and Harden which has been harder to find than I feel like it should be but that kind of floor spacing the thing that I will say and I do love Nyang with all my heart I love the shit talk I love everything he says he the softest flagrant foul in the world on Ben Simmons. And then to come back and manage to get a technical uh, while not even being in the game after that John Collins dunk last night or or the Joel Embiid block on John Collins, I'm sorry, was awesome. But I I still don't know if I buy like defensively if he can hang in the postseason, which is my biggest concern because kind of what we mentioned about the isolation game and guys just hunting matchups, like Niang is going to be tested and that's going to be pretty make or break. And I think the focus of this has been trying to find two-way guys. That's definitely not Yang, unfortunately. And I mean, you, you he's still going to be useful at times. He's one of the, he's probably the most pure shooter on this team. He can shoot off movement, j- just do whatever you need from that regard. But defensively, I still am frightened come postseason time. I, I think it's a good point. But then again, when I look at who's on the roster, all right, Paul Reed to me is probably the best option, but however, he can't play offense yet. So even though he did have a little turnaround fade, which I was, I was sitting there looking like, holy, is that Paul Reed? I, what's he pulled out of the bag here? But, um, yeah, you know, I look at Daniel House. He hasn't really done much for me. I mean, he would be a decent fit. I look at Tobias Harris. Is Tobias really a, an elite defender? I mean, he doesn't really do much. Sometimes he gets in that groove. But then again, I, I just look at the fit. I think Niang actually fits more than the other guys, as crazy as it may sound. Bible could fit, but again, lack of offense so it's tough finding that right piece and i personally i just feel tobias would be more utilized off the bench he could have the ball in his hands 
you know, go back and forth with Shake Milton. I just think it would be, I think it'd be a smart idea. Innovative. Tobias idea. Harris. Tobias Harris would be best utilized on another basketball team. That's <laughs> that's just it's just I knew it's it was just, it's just what it is. I think he's a good basketball player. I think he's better than a lot of players that I would trade him for, but it's just fit. It's just fit yeah. for me. I think the perfect guy next to Joel Embiid is an athletic, rebounding, power forward uh, who can feed off of Embiid floating around the perimeter and switch back and forth. The guy that can stretch the floor, but a guy that can also, you know, we were the worst rebounding team in the league for uh, most of last year, at the beginning of this season. I would just like to see a John Collins-esque player next to Joel Embiid. People hate when I say that because we hate John Collins, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he's better than Tobias Harris at all. I think Tobias is a better scorer and has a, more, of a, more of a dynamic basketball game, but I just think an athletic rebounder who can also defend and block shots would be a better fit at the four uh, than what they're running currently. I don't know if, I mean, I, I think Tobias coming off the bench is a pretty good idea. I just, I think Doc Rivers is, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to bend a little bit, I think, but that's, that's yeah. pushing Doc Rivers, I think, to his creative limit, thinking that he's going to, you know, I don't, I just don't think he's going to do that. Um, Niang being the best fit, like, yeah, again, you're, you're not going to get the defense and rebounding that I just talked about, but you are getting a quick trigger and you're getting a guy that's always going to give you 110% out there. Um, it's tough. And then, yeah, you say, look at the roster. You know who do we actually have that can be a two-way stretch four kind of player, a perfect fit, which is why I think at the trade deadline you make a move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, to speak on the kind of players you're referencing, I'll even go a little more further. For I defensively is where my biggest like where where I'm circling the need. It's the biggest is just like a pure wing defender and cut from like the the Norman Powell, the just like just normal small forward, a guy capable of Mikhail Bridges is obviously a high target one that would never happen, but that style of player that can three and D defend and just swallow guys up like that is what they need. Somebody that can create a little bit. Uh, and Tobias, like as far as moving them to the bench, like th there's been a lot of kind of bending on the getting Tobias kind of out of the reps, but this is still the highest paid player on the, the roster this year. And that's speaking of like paying a guy and kind of sticking them to that, that is kind of Tobias. And, it does suck. That's just kind of how it is. But uh, I, I, I just can't see it happening, unfortunately. I, I mean, to, to keep this convo moving forward, I like bringing this all together. I think it's going to be very telling the first couple games that everybody is back healthy. Yeah. Are we going to go back to oh, what yeah. we saw the first 12 games of the year? Or are we going to try to replicate what we have been seeing recently, but plugging in our pieces? And I think it's going to speak a lot about Doc Rivers. Like, was all this for nothing? Was all this just to, you know, give our guys some rest? Maybe it is a blessing in disguise, right? Having these other pieces that can play off the bench and, you know, like giving us some confidence finally. But at the end of the day, we can't go back to what we saw before. And really, I, I think I'm trying to bring up a higher question here. Do the players have to look at themselves now? When we look at Joel Embiid, when we look at James Harden, do they have to look in the mirror? Because we've given Doc all the criticism, as, you know, a lot of it is deserved. But what, what about Joel and James? What about James Harden, who was playing out of his mind before the injury? You know, how does that game look with James Harden? I don't think he's ever played a brand of basketball like that. So, you know, what is that going to look like? How about Tyrese? How are you going to get him incorporated? These are a lot of the questions I have. And if it goes back to looking like what it did before, just the stale, just not pure, just, you know, really just isolated garbage that we saw, 
that can't go on. We're trying to win a championship. You have the formula now. You got to apply it. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I've kind of, if you pay attention to Embiid's quotes post game, I always read into these probably a little more than I should just because I'm always curious, kind of getting a, a window into his mind. There was a quote uh, a couple weeks back that really stuck out to me. This was right after Harden and Maxi got hurt. So when Embiid was the focal point before Embiid got hurt, and they asked him about the playing through him as him as kind of the point center. And he said that, like, this is how we need to play every game, regardless of who is there. And that was one that made me kind of like, huh, like, what exact, how how strongly does he mean that, like, with the group? Because when you think about it, and this is why I brought up Harden becoming a, a spot-up shooter, because that really has never been James Harden throughout his career, although there's no reason that he shouldn't be capable of doing it. But when you think of a, a player that fits around James Harden, as a big man like Embiid, it's setting screens, rolling, catching lobs, which Embiid's shown he can do, and they've been very effective at that. But when you think of a player that is built around Embiid and connects with Embiid, and this is why you said Niang's such a great fit, it's a guy who's a willing shooter who moves off ball, and neither of those things are really James Harden off a catch and shoot. You're not going to get a, a movement guy that's just not really him off the ball, but there has to be some give in that direction if this team's going to reach its ceiling. So Harden should be able to do it. He's taken some strides forward and looking more comfortable for it. But for this team to work, I think he just has to be able to be willing as a three-point catch and shooter and keeping the space open like that. But before I let DJ go, are you concerned at all then about the defensive level of this team? Because they've been great. They've been the best in the league over the last three weeks, month. What about Maxi and Harden in the backcourt then? And then you talk about Tobias, right? We need, we want a more athletic defender you know, are we concerned about that? Like, what if that goes back to how, because let's be honest, it's been night and day from what we saw before till now. I mean, these guys are locked in. They're all up on their players. Are we concerned about that at, at any level? Yeah, I, I am a little bit. And I'll say that just because like Maxi and Harden both just are always going to be a little bit deficient on the defensive end for their own individual reasons. For Harden, it's just kind of snoozing once in a while, getting lost on off ball. For Maxi, it's just kind of, his size and there's certain matchups where he just can't handle for being six, two and the frame that he's in. I do think Maxi's improved as a defender already through his time in the NBA, which is encouraging. And the, the point that I guess is my biggest thing. And this is once again, why I stick in the like build around and beat corner is he covers up for so much of that. Just you see guys like not even willing to try him in the paint, which they shouldn't for the, the rate that he blocks shots and is able to do that. So I do think he can make up for that. If there was like, it's a, a Tobias flip for an athletic wing that can really clamp up guys and be that like true three and D thing. I think that changes it and elevates it a ton, but it is a concern of mine for sure. Yeah. Um, I got bad news for you. It is, is 100% <laughs> going to go back to what we saw before, because for that to really change, the person in charge would have to change. And the person in charge has, has never changed. This is a guy who consciously put Paul Millsap on Giannis Antetokounmpo just last season, 37-year-old Paul Millsap. This is a guy that made that decision and stuck with it because this is what I'm doing. This is right. And I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to have to see it not work to under, to, to, to change it. And I just, uh, you know, if he was, man, I just, I don't have faith in him adjusting or, or accepting that, he needs to do things differently. That's just not him. It's not what I what he's ever been. He had disagreements with the Boston Celtics just a couple years after he won that championship and got traded. It's just it's just who Doc Rivers is, and it's 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 just going to happen. You talk about PJ Tucker coming off of a surgery at 37 years old. 
playing this much in the beginning of the regular season. These are things that, to me, I'm not a basketball expert. I'm not a sports expert at all. They flat out don't make any sense. And I've <laughs> seen it from him for I've seen it from him for three seasons now. There's no reason for me to believe he's gonna be adaptive at this point. So, so sadly, I see it going back to what it was. So then, applying my question based off of what Sean said. Then what point do we look at the players? What what point do we take a look at Joel Embiid and, and say, well, you got to look in the mirror. You got to look at what's going on here the last couple of weeks. And James Harden, you got to look in the mirror and say, I got to adapt my playing style. Or are they too up there where they say, no, this is going to be a star run team, even though it should, it should lead with them. But do they look at themselves at all and say, well, maybe we just saw what worked and we try to adapt. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I think, uh, it has changed from the beginning of the season till now and 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 I've seen more I've seen more adaptiveness what word am I looking for over the course of the beginning of this season than I have the past two and people want me to say that that's Doc Rivers like changing things but he's never changed in his career to me somebody at the top started making some phone calls and saying listen doc you're going to have to listen to what Sam's saying you're going to have to listen to what Dave's saying and listen you're going to have to listen to your staff here because you started out the season looking atrocious and then things started to change. So there could have been pressure put on him. Maybe at this stage in his career, he's like, I got three years, $25 million a year. I don't want to get fired right now. I'm going to get the money anyway. But, you know, I, I, maybe I'll start to listen to other people. So maybe people said things to him. He started to listen to his staff. Or for the first time in his 61-year life, he, he started to have a, an adaptive, you know, coaching philosophy. I, You know, it is what it is. I, I don't think – I mean – I look, I'm, I'm going to give the guy credit. The team's been playing well. They've been playing hard. But then it, it goes back to what I said when we had this last conversation. Like, the coach can help to an extent, but he can really destruct, you know? And and at those first couple weeks, he really destructed the decision-making, the overplaying, which he's still doing. It was tough. But I, I, just, I, I just credit it to more of, like, what was needed to be done, right? Like, Certain guys were out. The other guys got to step up and do the job. The other guys stepped up and wanted it more. They wanted it from within. They wanted to prove to Doc Rivers, yo, we're ball players. We're NBA guys. We should be getting more minutes, and we can absolutely do this when the starters come back. So to me, I'm, I'm more on the side of it's just like these guys stepped up and wanted it. They finally got their opportunity, and they said, we're going to go out and seize the moment. Yeah, definitely. There was like a an intensity that they played with, which wasn't seen through the first couple of weeks of the the season. That I think there was kind of a reality check, which that happened is like a. It doesn't matter if we're more talented; like we have to go out there and take it. And that this team has needed that for uh, several years now, to be honest. So I'm happy things seem to be changing in that regard. But it's all going to kind of be a a work in progress until we get to the postseason and see that happen. And uh, it's good to see them kind of going down the same path, but they still have a ways to go with like mentality issues, which has been uh, something that kind of has clouded this team throughout the, this era of Sixers basketball. So uh, I'm happy to kind of see the tools be put together, but I, it all has to come together when everyone's here. I just keep seeing it with other teams and, you know, I, I would love to see it with this team. Here's a perfect example. AJ Griffin is 19 years old and is playing 17 minutes per game. For the Atlanta Hawks, yeah, they're not like a juggernaut. They're eleven and ten, but like yes or no, would Doc Rivers play a nineteen-year-old kid seventeen minutes a game in in an NBA? He he kind of treats the entire regular season like every game matters so much. I just can't even look at the young kid over there. You know what I mean? So the more I see, and the the, the NBA keeps getting younger, 
uh, we keep catching up with, I know it's the best, it's the most talented basketball league in the world, but other countries have 16 year old professional players. You know, we're going to eventually be in the, the Luka Doncic when he was playing professionally overseas. We're going to eventually be in that now, especially now that they've gotten this, like you, you can get drafted out of high school again. We have to start moving towards giving guys a shot. These young guys that we call young guys, the doc doesn't give a shot are like 24 years old. Isaiah Joe's 24. Yeah. What, what, what age are you not a young guy anymore and you're allowed to play and 19 year old players are playing 17 minutes a game so you know i'm glad you brought that up and it gave me a, a great leeway to bring up what i do every single show the sixers should have kept isaiah joe all right they should have kept them oh he, yeah. he hit the uh the most consecutive threes in a game in okc nine. history nine straight they beat katie's record um, it, you know, like DJ said earlier, we're not basketball experts. We just study our team. We just watch. Um, I mean, the guy had talent. If, if there was a run, all right, I'm going to give you a bold take right now. Let me know if you agree. If there was a run like this where everybody was injured and Isaiah Joe was still on this team, he would have went out there and looked like a damn superstar. I'm sorry. Charles Bassey too. If they were here during this time when everybody was injured, they would have went out there and earned themselves more minutes. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think he showed that last year, or it might have been two years ago now, during like a stretch where everyone got COVID, and he kind of like stepped up and did his thing. He he was exactly who we thought he was since the beginning, and he showed that then. He continues to show that with the Thunder, and it also like shouldn't go without forgotten that there's still an open roster spot on the Sixers team right now. <laughs> and like, why, why do we have an open roster spot? <laughs> yeah, I get like the in theory like the financial flexibility. You give yourself a little more wiggle room. But that only really works out if it works out. Like if there's a player that that was necessary that we needed. Otherwise, we kind of just gave these guys up for nothing. And that sucks. And it's just not the way that you kind of build a long-term successful franchise by just giving away young talent. Yeah, last season in two games, actually, everybody got COVID. It was the two games that Doc Rivers had COVID. Uh, Dan Burke was coaching the team. And immediately you got an 18-point game from Isaiah Joe and an 11-point game the next night, 29 points in a back-to-back. And then Doc came back, and you legitimately didn't see him again for the rest of the season. So, I mean, I just – I I feel like I say this about a lot of coaches, but I, this, is, this is very obvious to me. The Ben Simmons thing was very obvious. This Doc Rivers thing is very obvious. Doug Peterson at the end of his Eagles tenure was very obvious. There's just obvious things that uh, I just feel like people up top with egos – don't always want to accept. Yeah, no, it's interesting, man. And, and even look at a team like Boston, right? Like, what are they, 17 and four? They had a whole coaching change. I mean, they're doing the same thing. Why? Because they've been to the moment now. They understand what it takes to get there. Um, you have a lot of good teams in the East. Speaking of which, we got the Cavs tomorrow night. Then we go play the Grizzlies. These are two big games. You know, how are we going to come out against these teams? If we go out and win these two games, I don't know what to think at that point. I really don't like it's almost like you want to keep riding the hot hand. Like you don't want to like shift things back, uh, you know, to what we had before. Um, but I, I think the Sixers finally turned the corner. But I'll bring up this question, kind of build off what we talked about last time. You know, like could this actually be a curse? Because you know the the starters come back. Now we've won a ton of games, and then we revert to what we were doing before. We flip the identity back. And it, and it doesn't change, you know, like we've seen history before, like it doesn't change. Are we at least confident more now in Doc Rivers handling this team? Or are we feeling that history will repeat itself and we'll kind of just be the same thing and have to wait to the playoffs to see if our talent can take us over the top? 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, as much as I give Doc his flowers for this past week, it, it definitely hasn't changed my entire perception of him. And I still have the concerns that are still there. Like, the, the data speaks for itself as far as years past and mistakes that have been made. So there's some hurdles that we have to clear all over the place, and that is going to come postseason. This whole team, like, and it kind of sucks if the NBA has turned into, it, into this, but, like, not a lot matters till the playoffs to some extent. Like it's like you get there, you're kind of getting your seat, your uh, seating. And the East is so deep this year that like, there's no guarantee that getting like the eighth seed is like that much worse than getting like a four seed just based on like the talent and the, the amount of teams that are very good this year. So I don't know. There's still a lot to be found out and uh, it's good to kind of get the leggings and we're going to see it, but I don't know. I still have concerns for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I have concerns for sure. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see what Harden looks like, I guess, most. I mean, Maxi Maxi has the technical fracture in the foot, right? Uh, but but yeah. uh, he didn't have as long of a timetable as Harden had. Probably a fracture is quicker to heal than a strained tendon, um, something like that. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But either way, I'm interested to see what Harden looks like coming back with a, from a strained tendon in his foot you know you want to make sure these guys are a hundred percent you want to make sure they're not like okay i'm 95 percent. let me go and see how i feel i'd rather you just be like definitely a hundred percent um and yeah i want to see them get worked back into the rotation you can't especially after a foot injury just go boom 38 minutes a game so we'll see uh how doc handles that i unfortunately have zero percent faith in him handling it correctly uh if he does handle it correctly i'll be blown away um you know i i partially blame him for all these guys being injured in the first place <laughs> i just uh, uh i wish i had some positivity here uh, i'm enjoying the i'm enjoying the the team right now with the energy and upsetting teams and things like that but when the stars are back i see the pecking order coming back i see all of it coming back to doc's eventual firing <laughs> Uh, probably in the playoffs this year. You think it'll actually happen, though? Because at this point, now that we've done what we've done, now that the guys have been injured, which have kind of given them a pass, now that we've turned the corner back, unfortunately, I'll take it as uh, another step. I, I don't think it's going to happen at all. Um, unless we were to lose 10 in a row. Um, yeah, I think it's just this is what it's going to be. Like Sean said before, then we just get to the playoffs and we throw it all out there. And if it doesn't work, then... Big changes are made, but I think I saw, we're pushing it all in. I, I came across something the other day when I was making that George Niang video uh, of an interview that he had with JJ Redick um, on a, on the podcast, and he brought up Doc Rivers and practice, and JJ laughed, and Niang laughed again, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, you know, Doc Doc practice," and they laughed, and he was like, "It's all it's all sunshine over here. I'm doing like he's making a joke about the fact that they." Don't really practice. Is that a is that a real thing? And then they come out the beginning of the season looking the way that they looked, and I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah. I actually asked him about that in in my interview. Uh, he tried to essentially say that he like it was taken out of context a little bit, but he did say what he said. So I mean, I I, I feel like guys don't even practice that much anyway. I feel like you just go throughout a season and you just you move on to the next city. Maybe you get some shootarounds in, but. Um, yeah. You got to practice certain things for sure. Do we do that? Sometimes I feel no. I feel like literally we go out there and it's just any other game and Doc throws it against the wall and says, do what you can do and see if we can pull out the win. That's what I feel happens. 
Yeah, there was um a couple quotes came out last night. Shout out Derek Bodner of the Daily Six for this, but they asked Doc about kind of the zone defense, which the Sixers have been using more lately. They're up to the second highest rate in the NBA of using that, which is something interesting. And I do think has provided a nice changeup for spurts, especially with the length that they have with guys like Melton and Thibel and everything else. But anyway, they asked Doc about it and Doc goes in on like, yeah, this is something I think changed the game. We work on it every single day at practice. And then immediately after they asked Tobias Harris and T- Tobias just goes like, yeah, we haven't even really practiced it. So I was glad it worked. So just kind of one of those like caught in the act back to back and kind of sums it up a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know I know Sam Cassell's the, the the drill guy and there's guys in the coaching staff that, that probably want to run things a certain way. And but, uh, you know, you go into a season after an off season, you signed a couple guys that are on their way to 40 years old and, and you don't really look too in shape to start the season. Actually, you look like the uh, worst conditioned team in the entire NBA transition defense and, and rebounding and things like that. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 yeah, with all those with all that evidence, I'm willing to bet, you know, they didn't do much in the offseason. Uh, Joel made a joke about it, and then it turned out he actually was on the couch the whole offseason. So, <laughs> but again, yeah, it's a long season. Um, you know, the Celtics were terrible the beginning of last season, ended up in the NBA Finals. You can, it's one of those games you can take 30, 40 games to get up to speed. You really can when you have the talent, when you know you're going to be in the playoffs, you can do that. So, you know, the fact that we didn't come out firing all cylinders game one. It was annoying. It was annoying losing to that Spurs team. Uh, that was an embarrassing loss in the beginning. But yeah, I, I guess you know I, I have faith that you're going to see these guys get better as the season goes on. Um, you know, get better, get in better shape, get the chemistry together, and things like that. So uh, we'll see. But I definitely don't think they did much in the off season. Mm-hmm. Last thing I want to talk about, and, and chat, let us know what you think about this. I want to get your guys' takes because I've been throwing this out there recently. Some people agree. Some people think I'm crazy. But as much as it has been criticized in the NBA, how many guys do you know across the league that are taking nights off, that are getting extra rest? You look at the Sixers team. Now we've gotten banged up early in the year. And look at what we've done the last three, four, five years. I saw someone in the chat say, this could be our last chance. This is something I brought up for a long time. Like, this might be the chance with this core. Like, if it doesn't work this year, if you get to the second round and get bounced, where do you go from there? Honestly, guys, I would I would load manage. I don't care about the regular season anymore this year. I mean, we've seen what happened. The Sixers were the one seed. We get blasted by the Hawks. I mean, for crying out loud, do what it takes to get to the playoffs healthy. If that's resting hard in one night, then resting and be the rest not the next night. Fine. I don't care anymore. Sean just said it earlier that the regular season doesn't matter that much. What is your guys' take on that? I would I would seriously go into full load management and just try to be as healthy for the playoffs as possible. Try to get a top seed, of course, like within the top four to get a home field. But at this point, I'm ready to go all in for the playoffs. Yeah, no, I'm all about that. Health is definitely the most important thing. And even a step beyond just like full resting and this ties right into like giving guys more opportunities. Both Harden and Maxi are in the top 14 in the NBA for minutes per game. Uh, before Maxi got hurt, he was leading the NBA in minutes per game. And he obviously got subbed out of that game at halftime and a couple guys have passed him. So he's sh- uh, shrunk down that a little bit. But either way, like you just don't need to be playing those guys that many minutes per game, especially Harden, who's at this stage of his career 
already had injury concerns coming into the season and now is going to be coming back from like reel it back from a nice like 36 to 38 minutes a game to like a 32 to 35 and that a provides minutes for other guys b keeps them safer and like this all feeds into just what they should be doing yeah i agree with with playing starters uh less overall minutes um but I, with the load managing thing, I look at what we looked like in the beginning of this season, and then I have fears because, you know, on paper you have the talent to be an automatic playoff team, a top five seed and things like that. But we saw in the beginning of the season what this what these guys can look like when there's no chemistry and the effort looks like it isn't there and things like that. So if you load manage this team, do they get swept in the first round anyway if they look like what they looked like the first five games of this season? So I guess you have to try to find a balance. You want to build chemistry and things like that as the season goes on. But I definitely agree they shouldn't be playing, uh, you know, 38, 39, 40 minutes in a regular season NBA game. Um, they shouldn't have been doing that from the jump. So, like, why did that happen in the first place? I can't figure it out. But hopefully this showed the guy in charge that, look, you have depth. Look, you have players you can actually use. You can play Shake Milton 25, 27, 30 minutes in a game if you have to, if if Harden bangs knees with somebody in the second quarter, you could sit him down. You can sit him down the rest of the game. You have guys that can ball. So we'll see, man. We'll see what he does. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, how the NBA made all these strides to give guys more rest and more days off, less travel. Yet we had a four-day stretch a couple weeks ago, and then we've played like seven games in nine days. We play a back-to-back -back in the same city. Like, how does that even help? You know, it's a long season. Some of the busiest months are coming up, and it's like, man, we we gotta we gotta take care of these guys. You know, yeah, definitely. And and we see you see it across the league too. Like the Clippers aren't gonna play like a game at full strength all season. They're just gonna keep like rotating guys who have nights off. Kawhi and Paul George have played like not at all. That's kind of been their model these past couple of years. Hasn't fully worked out for them, but that's like what they're bought into. And the, they're not the only ones. Like you just see it around with guys getting nights off. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of the way of the NBA now, unfortunately. And the Sixers kind of need to buy into that a little more. They really haven't. And uh, part of it, I do think, is on Embiid's shoulders for him wanting to, like, squash that, like, injury-prone narrative and wanting to show that, like, I can play every night. I think he took that a little personally. But now it's time to kind of put that aside. Like, you've proven that, man. Now make sure you're healthy and can bring us home when it matters most. Yeah, uh, the one question that you did ask a couple minutes ago was, uh, you know, if they get bounced this season if they don't make it past the second round this season uh i'm i'm ready if if they don't make it past the second round this season i'm ready for i'm ready for it to be blown up i just am this is getting i don't know like, I feel like, I'm, like I'm seeing the same thing every every postseason and then it's to the point where i'm like okay here's the same thing again so i'm ready i'm ready for i'm ready for tankathon i'm ready for i'm ready to try to get to the top of the draft i'm ready for the i'm ready for the rights to ricky sanchez uh draft party in the xfinity lives <laughs> i'm ready to go full right back to where we were I'm ready so, for, i was having fun you mean you mean a full blow up like get rid of everybody uh, no, other i think than not. no i think you always i think you keep i mean obviously tyrese maxi is, a, is a, a diamond in the rough you got somebody that's that can at least you have a, a prized possession to move forward for the next 10 right. years so at least you have that we're not actually i don't think we we have a, uh, I don't think we will end up tanking again because of the, the fact that you could restructure and build around Tyrese Maxey. I, st I don't think you give up on Joel Embiid yet either, unless he requests a trade. I think you, if you get bounced in the second round this season, some of these contracts that Daryl uh, made happen this offseason, 
you got to do a whole bunch of different things. You got to move a lot of pieces. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you blow it up without trading Joel Embiid. Uh, but uh, at the same yeah. time, you know, I think he's just a talent that you continue to try to build around until he says, yo, let me out of here. Yeah. Now it'll be interesting. Definitely going to be interesting to see how the Sixers uh, come out the next couple weeks. Uh, some tough games now that we get into some of these better teams, um, especially when the players come back. I would probably anticipate like mid-December, maybe, maybe late December they come back and we, we're at full strength. Um, so it should be interesting to see like how we come out and, and how we play and if we revert back or not. Um, last thing I want to say to you guys before we get off here, I was at that Sixers-Nets game and – let me tell you how sweet it is seeing it up close, right? Because I was right there. <laughs> and, um, you know, people were frustrated with me because I made a, a post game and I said that, uh, you know, Ben didn't do anything to impact the game. And we've all had our criticisms. We've had our conversations. It's crazy, guys. He's the same player. You know, he's the like the Nets really are what we said they are. They the fact that they lost to that team doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. No. But that team got beat by Shake Milton, George Niang, and Furkan Korkmaz. And even though Ben had 11 and 11 that game, he didn't do anything. I watched him every possession. He ran to the elbow and he handed it off and set a screen. We won that trade by a mile. I mean, it's it's confirmed. Uh, somebody tried to argue with me that the reason we lost it is because Seth Curry had 20-something off the bench. I said, if your main point is that you're arguing Seth Curry, we already won the argument. I mean, come on now. It's it's crazy. I can't believe it. but. That was a heck of a game. That was a heck of a game. Yeah, this guy was hitting uh, Jordan shrugs and shushing the crowd after basic basketball skills. Like after layups and a made free throw, he's hitting those kind of celebrations. So oh. I don't know. It's very crazy. I, I, I would even go a step further to say like he's regressed significantly since his time with the Sixers. Like he's a worse player than he was at his peak with the Sixers. Absolutely. And some of that, if you want to look through the, the Brooklyn lenses and I guess wishful thinking is maybe there's some rust there. He hasn't played in a while. He's taken some strides closer to the player that he was, but he's never going to be James Harden, I'll tell you that. And they lied. They lied and said that the crowd wasn't loud or anything. I honestly think they turned the volume levels down because it was buzzing in there. Every time he touched the ball or even inbounded the ball, everybody was screaming. And from what I heard, I didn't obviously didn't hear it on TV, but they said, you know, the broadcast crew was all on top of him. You know, oh, great player, great game. That's crazy, man. I watched that game. I don't care what the numbers say. He didn't do anything to impact the game. Yeah, I, I got to say, like, I give him credit for putting a jersey on and actually showing up. I didn't think he was ever going to show up. So, you know, he did that. That's a that's a step forward, you know, baby steps. Maybe time by the time he's ready to retire, he'll take a shot in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's, it's the same Which thing. Which he did it's not. It's always the same thing. He, he did didn't not take a anything. shot in the fourth quarter. No, and, and just a couple of nights ago, he had like 22-11 or something, and, and people made that look like it was a 60-point quadruple-double. You know what I mean? These are legitimately – they showed on ESPN five games in a row, and and they are they are Alfred Payton numbers. They're they're George Hill numbers. They're a normal regular. They're Evan Fournier numbers. That's what they are. This is not superstar numbers, but they just I, I can't figure out. It, you know, he's been enabled his whole life, and now the main enabler is the national media. Every time he does something completely <laughs> mid, he gets celebrated. So he goes home thinking, "Hey, I'm back. I'm good. All I got to do is this." It's just it's never going to change with him. And yeah, I'm glad. That is somebody else's problem. And I told the Nets fans straight up, I said, just yeah, nice little 22 and 11 game. Just wait till a game or two. He does it. And then he, he's like, okay, everyone's satisfied. Now I can go back to just setting screens and passing the ball. And he does it. He does it every time. He's done it for five years. He's not going to change. 
It's crazy, man. I, I When he went off the floor a couple times, I was actually hoping, everybody in the section was hoping that he would actually come back on the floor because, you know, they just couldn't do anything offensively. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because, it, it like, seeing it with your own eyes, like, I never would have thought I, I had seen him like that. It was just weird. The game is just weird, but he doesn't he doesn't look nearly as as in shape as he did, you know, when he was yeah. his his early years here. And he relied so much on athleticism that, you know, he can't do those sorts of things that he was doing. And then that kills his confidence even more than it already was. And now he knows he can't really take a guy to the hole and dunk on him. So he doesn't even try. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> where's it going? He, he was getting cooked down low. He really was. It, it was crazy. Um, But yeah, it, it's funny, man. The Nets, I don't see them really going anywhere. I do think there's good competition, even though like the Jazz kind of came back to to life a little bit. The Clippers haven't really done much. Like there is there's an interesting progression heading this season. I think um, the Warriors are struggling bad right now. I think we could see some new kind of blood uh, kind of rising up this yeah. season. You obviously have your still constants, right? Like the Bucks, the Celtics, but the Cavs, who we face tomorrow, they've been playing some pretty good ball. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. you know, even the Grizzlies who we play Friday. So I think, I yeah, think it's, it's that time where like these new stars are, are finally taking that reign. Like it's no more LeBron. It, it's so, not KD, you know, it's these young guys. So yeah, those are two perfect teams for us to face after this, like five or whatever games of, of beating some, some pretty bad teams with our bench. These are pretty good tests coming up. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and then the Memphis Grizzlies and those two teams, are good examples of of teams. I was going to say with the load management thing. Like, do you think load management is helping a team like the Clippers, who are, are just rotating guys every night because they get to the playoffs and are they even in in chemistry shape or basketball shape to compete? And you know, teams like the Memphis Grizzlies and the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and just younger teams that are uh, just a lot of combo guards, a lot of guys that get up and down the floor, a lot of ball sharing. You know, the I don't I don't expect anything out of the Clippers. I mean, John Wall, you know, looks like he's I'm proud of the guy. I was watching him the other night and, you know, he looks like he's playing the best basketball he's played, obviously, in a couple of years, if even played in the past couple of years. But, uh, yeah, I think these younger teams are coming up, man, and there's a lot of energy and there's a lot of guys that are that are ready to go get it. And these older teams that are load managing guys this might be the end of this might be we might be getting toward the end of this this load management era. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, like for example, the Warriors are the nine seed. They're 11 and 11. They've won, they're two and 10 on the road. The Nets are the nine seed. They're 11 and 11. Uh, the Mavs are, are barely in the play in right now. They, they're struggling without Brunson. There's a lot of surprises so far, you know, even like teams like the Blazers are still uh, fighting pretty well. Or I don't know, the Nuggets are the two seed and the Pacers are the four seed. Like <laughs> it's been, uh, the, uh, the Spurs dropped off. They dropped off after those first couple wins. The Jazz were on Jazz fire. Now off. they're the Jazz are twelve and eleven. Like they were the best team in the league. Crazy stuff, man. And and now the Sixers are rising up. So hopefully we Indi can Indiana being up there is interesting. I didn't even really look at the standings that closely until you said Indiana's number four. That that one's interesting. I'll have to catch up with Indiana a little bit because because that, that's Hal that's definitely interesting. Halliburton is the real deal. Yeah. He's the truth, that kid, and Benedict Matherin can play too. Halliburton, I'm, I forget this. I believe it's 40 assists without a turnover is what he's on in the past three games, which is just nutty stats there. And he can shoot a little bit too. Halliburton is a player, uh, not to obviously like reflect on it too heavily, but if that was kind of the the trade deal, other than Harden, that one could age poorly looking ahead. But if everything shakes out this season, it won't matter.
hey, look, my, my guy Romp was all over Halliburton when, when we were going to make the trade. Daryl Morey made a comment on a radio interview about fans want us to just trade Ben for random players. So Tyrese Halliburton is a random player, uh, according to Daryl Morey. He didn't even know who he was. <laughs> so it had to be James Harden because he, he, he's the only player that he knew was available. But uh, if, if Romp turns out to be right, it's just another thing. Pe- you know, people get so mad at him when he says these things and he ends up being right. I, it wouldn't <laughs> shock me at all. Last thing I want to say, and, uh, you know, obviously this is like just more general NBA talk. Shout out to everybody in here still rocking with us, man. Hit the like button wherever you're watching. We're live on all three channels. Um, One thing I recall you saying earlier, DJ, you talked about the magic and all the talent they had. The other night when I was streaming the game, I I was going up and down the roster and, and I'm finding dudes I couldn't believe that were still on that team. I'm like, holy smokes, the magic have all this talent. I'm reading down the list. Cole Anthony. Bol Bol, Mo Bamba, Bancaro, Wendell Carter, Foltz, Hampton, Gary Harris, Jonathan Isaac, Terrence Ross, who I feel like should be 51 years old, but he's only 31. Uh, Jalen <laughs> he's only Suggs. 31? He's only 31. Wow. Uh, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner. I'm like, and, and it just goes to show when we put all this in perspective, like you could be a young team stacking for talent and still be five and 16. Or you could be a team that has all the talent and and like the Warriors who have been trending and now they're struggling. So you never know with with the are NBA they all are they all injured or what? Like I feel like I didn't see uh, Cole Anthony at all in in those he was games. injured. He Carter's was injured. injured. Fultz is just getting paid to wear street clothes for the rest of his career. What's his injury now? He he was he got upgraded to questionable right before the the second game and then they pushed it back. So I think. Uh, Whenever their next game is, I guess when he's making his debut, uh, Wendell Carter was also hurt during the matchup, who I also think is a player too. Yeah, they have a lot of guys, man. And uh, I think Mo, I, Bom- I, Mo Bamba and Jonathan Isaac are the shockers to me. Like, at what point do they move on from these guys? These were high draft picks that just—I mean, I know they're still relatively young, twenty-four and twenty-five years old, but Isaac is kind of nothing. Yeah, Isaac hasn't played in like two years. Yeah. Oh, he's always hurt too, Isaac. Okay. Yeah. You have so many centers on that team. It's like, it's crazy, man. And then you look at a team like the Hornets, who were on a good trajectory. Then two of the players got arrested. Uh, Gordon Hayward's not even a player anymore. And it's like, you never know, man. You never know. Um, By the way, Suggs is injured. Fultz is injured. Isaac is injured. Wendell Carter is injured. And Mobamba is injured. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm officially starting to get Terrence Ross to Philly movement. He'd be a great piece off the bench. He's Great. been like uh, rumored to be traded for like the last decade, but uh, you know, you know. Yeah. it would be perfect because he's he's NBA old, but he's not actually old. You know, we have a couple guys that are actually old right now. You know, 30, 31 is a good NBA old. We'll take that. Yeah, absolutely, man. But hey, appreciate you guys coming on. Shout out to the chat. Great talks tonight. At least we are much more optimistic at this point in the season. Uh, hopefully we can keep doing this every like 10 games or whatever. And, you know, just. It's crazy when I when I think about everything we've went through this season and we're only 21 games in. It's like, man, we got a long way to go. Long yeah, way to go. I definitely want to catch up with you guys after uh, these next two games because, you know, they're, they're both big tests. They're going to tell us a lot, I think, about what we can expect. So, yeah, definitely should be good. Shout out to everybody. Support Philly Take with RB, Run It Back Philly, and Pick Swap Media. Wherever you're watching, drop a like, drop a subscribe. It helps us out more than you know. We're delivering this content to you every single day at the click of a button. Anything else, guys? Appreciate you uh, coming on, man. Yeah, no. Glad for the upbeat. Glad for a little upswing. Let's keep it rolling. See how they survive. 
nice two measuring stick games these next two games, and we'll get back and see how things are swinging. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get back into swinging things. I had kind of a week off with the with the week of Thanksgiving and all that. It was tough for me. It just happened to be those games where you know we were playing uh, the deep bench most of those games against bad teams. So I didn't care that much that I missed them. There were some performances that I wish I would have saw, but uh, you're ready to get back into it, man. We got some good games coming up. So last thing, prediction for tomorrow night: Do the Sixers get the W against the Cleveland Cavaliers? I think we do. I'm saying we do. Yeah. Confidence team. Sean says yes. Yes. Uh, All right, we yes. got a unanimous yes. Yes, but yeah. y- yes, uh, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be pretty. We're gonna get beat in a lot of categories, but once again, Joel Embiid is gonna carry us to victory in the fourth quarter. I think that's gonna happen. Let's go, man. Let's go. Get the dub. Someone said 112-102. I like it. I like it. All right, everybody have a great night. Appreciate y'all for tuning in. Hit the like button and uh catch y'all in the next one. Peace.